Welcome to Potadelphia. I am your special uh, breaking case of emergency host. My name is Chuck Siders. You can find me at Chuck Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. You can find at Fat underscore Lobster on vacation. I believe he and his family are doing a world tour. And I am joined by one guy who's going to spend the same amount of time on the field for the Eagles as Carson Wentz. How you doing, Gene? Uh, this is Gene Zilak. You can find me on Twitter at producer Gene. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm I am I have officially been ruled out of the preseason. So just so in <laughs> case anybody was planning on watching the game next week to see me, I have officially been ruled out. I will not be in pads. I'll probably just be you know like hugging my bros on the sidelines in, in street clothes or like we have the jersey on. Uh, I I feel like I would rock like the the casual pants but like the jersey over top i feel like nice. that would be a good a good look for me has is wentz officially out for next week or i was just presuming i i feel like the way that it works now in today's nfl like they're not allowed to say that he's officially out for the preseason game because i think that technically they still want to sell tickets and if you say that then people are definitely not going to come i think that there's a certain amount of well, maybe he hasn't played the preseason at all. Maybe he's going to play. So, um, but I mean, let's be real, folks. Like if, at this point, the way that this preseason has gone for our team, for a lot of teams, like there is, like they are going to put anybody who has any bearing on on game one in September uh, in bubble wrap. You aren't going to see anybody. You're not going to. Maybe you'll see a couple offensive linemen and, and defensive linemen that you've heard of, um, but. Uh, as far as skill position players, forget about it. Yeah. I mean, and uh, the fourth game of the preseason was always a joke before, and this whole preseason's a joke now. Well, we're in a weird, I mean, like, transition period where some teams kind of treat it still like the traditional first, second preseason game, third preseason game, you get starters for a half. Fourth preseason game, you get the guys that are all on the bottom of the roster. Yeah, uh, I guess some people are doing it. I'm going to be very honest. I have not watched any other teams' preseason football. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, you know, I think I mentioned the other week where it was like, oh, the third preseason game, man. Like, that was the best. Really looking forward to the third preseason game. Oh, God, that tells you how bad the fills were in the past, man. Yeah. Like, when looking forward to the third preseason game, like finally we have something to care about again. That just tells you how bad the Phillies were for so long. The preseason is like the biggest uh, hoax that the NFL has ever pulled on everybody. It's because we are so uh, starved as football fans for any content that uh, you get the preseason and you get hyped for it because it's it's got a lot of the things you love about football. It's got uniforms and, and it's got players in uniforms it's got a field and a ball, but <laughs> almost that is where the comparison between the regular season and preseason ends. It, it is not, it is not good football. I really, honestly think you would be better served to actually broadcast these like joint practices. I think that real football fans 
who are knowledgeable about the game would be more interested if you had a couple of really good commentators in the booth or on the sideline, probably, that were able to kind of say, hey, um, they're going to run like 10 plays of, of, of this formation or that formation, or we're going to run some goal line or, you know, we're going to watch the kicker, the kicking competition. I bet you in Chicago, if you put on <laughs> at eight o'clock at night, those 10 kickers that lined up to hit that 43-yard field goal to decide who was going to maybe be the kicker for the Bears, I bet you there's going to be a lot of Bears fans that would have paid, uh, you know, like pay-per-view prices to watch that competition. So, uh, you know, I would, I think, feel like that would be better content. But I, like I've said probably 100 times at this point through this preseason and, and probably last preseason, the owners just, they're not going to turn their backs on all of those basically uh, all the concessions parking all the the ticket sales that you get from the preseason you know that are it's all kind of uh, basically just profit yeah it's free money they're not going to turn it down no. but and yeah it's it's not really football that's close enough it's an excuse or something to do but yeah i'd be totally down with that practice i think we mentioned that one before but like you mentioned get some really smart people in there get your get your your Ray Dittinger in there, you know, maybe have, you know, when Wentz isn't playing, get somebody in there to interview him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just throw it up in a box in the corner at listen to that. And then, you know, or get the Phillies broadcast team because they're really good about talking about (laughs) anything, but what's happening on the field. Oh, it's so damn painful. It's so damn painful. I, I don't, I don't know. We, on our agenda tonight, folks, the Phillies are dead last, like in the agenda, not in the division. <laughs> We're not there yet, um, but they're dead last in the agenda. We'll get to them if we get to them. But uh, that that's like that's like low hanging fruit for me, Gene. Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, Chuck, let's talk about the Phil's broadcast because <laughs> uh, it causes my blood pressure to rise every game. But no, I a you know a good production of these you know, you know, tandem practices, whatever the term is. And, you know, there was some heat at the the Ravens Eagles one. I know there was some like, you know, it was getting a little chippy at points. And then you had hometown hero, Carrie Lloyd hitting a 55 yard field goal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. from what I heard, there have been some teams that have, have contacted her uh, about, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, do you think that they, anybody would be serious about bringing Carly Lloyd in to kick? Uh, I, I mean, and I, I don't know that I had actually formulated this into an opinion yet, but after seeing that and kind of hearing the chatter about it, I, I really do believe that before somebody, uh, you know, puts me uh, puts me away, you know, for, for eternity, that... <laughs> the... Sorry, are you talking about God or are you talking about like an old age home? <laughs> Whatever comes first. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> um, I did not have a great genetic track record. Um, okay. <laughs> so, but um, I really do think that we're going to see a, a a female player in the NFL. I think that there is honestly enough talent uh, to see a female kicker. Will you ever see a female linebacker? No. Will you ever see a female quarterback? Probably not. But could you see a female kicker? Could you see a female punter? I, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I I could see that. I mean, you know, uh, Lord, if you if you want to see just the 
most vile trolls out there, just go to the comments under Carrie Lloyd. Uh, Carly. Uh, is it Carly? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm making her Carrie. Well, great. Carly Lloyd. Sorry. Um, you had the last King... name right, and that's what's on the back of her shirt. Yeah. And number 10. Yeah. See? You know, hometown here from Jersey. I, I know who she is. I just didn't know the first name. But if you want to see just disgusting comments, man, that all of them can't. It's like, oh, she took too many steps. She took too many steps. I'm like, she's hitting them for 55 yards. Maybe she took the right amount of steps. She could hit it from 45. Yeah. I, I, I would love to see... Because these are all those large dudes that were also saying about after that that double doink kick. Oh, I can do that, yeah. Cody Parkey. I can do that. And then they all showed up, and none of them could do it. So, <laughs> shut up. She literally, you know, and it was on that side field where they're actually the narrower uh, uprights. So, you know, and that was good. It was not even like it like barely cleared the upright. Like that click kick was. Was up, good, no problem, no doubt about it. Yeah, good for another 10 yards. And so she definitely has the skills to do, but also when these commenters, have you ever played in a you know two-hand touch or even tackle football game where there was anybody who could kick worth a damn? Even like a drop punt. Like right. nobody could do it. No. Like maybe one person. It, so it's i don't know who are these people who think it's easy it's not trust me no. i i've tried my whole life because I, I i really honestly thought that it would be a great skill to have and um it was funny because we were talking about this a little bit uh earlier about how when i was growing up i i would ask my parents all the time oh i you know i want to play football i want to play football i want to play football and you know my parents maybe to their credit because for the most part my my noggin is is pretty pretty good. I, I don't think I've ever had a concussion. Um, you know, they were like, no, like it's just not it's just not something that we feel comfortable with you participating in. Um, so I, I played a lot of soccer, but I was convinced that like I was going to learn how to be a place kicker in high school, and that's how I was going to be able to to make the football team. Let me tell you, <laughs> it is not as simple as saying like I'm going to be a place kicker. It's just not that easy. Yeah, I I never had that aspiration. I never thought it was simple. I mean, like the I feel like every football comes with a T, or at least it did in the eighties. You know, you get a football and there's a plastic T with it, and every damn football game we we put it on there. We try somebody like holding it, like it's just if somebody was holding it, they were getting their hand kicked. Right. And like it w- it would just be like, all right, we just throw it. Yeah, we're just throwing it for right. kickoff. That's what we did. Everybody would just throw it for kickoffs. Yeah. So, but I I think, you know, with the U.S. women's soccer team, there's enough skill there that, you know, I think it's certainly doable. I think there's certainly, you know, enough strength to do it. I mean, may have to be enough interest. Maybe, you know, I don't know. They'd have to start in college, I guess. I I don't think we're going to be the hey, let's take a you know two time World Cup winner and throw on the field and see what you got. But but don't you think that there's a a junior college, a Division two team, or or, or a Division one AA, whatever they call that now, championship division school, you know, that has had a had kicking problems and has a a you know they may look at this as like wow. What if we have a whole wealth of talent 
that we're not exploring. There's a whole other gender on this planet that might be able to consistently hit field goals. You know what I mean? Think yeah. about how good of a if you could if you could be guaranteed if you could find a a kicker. It doesn't matter what their gender is, but if you were in a college program and you could find a kicker that could consistently hit from 45 in, guess what? That becomes a weapon. How many college football games have you watched where they literally they, they don't have a kicker? Like it is not an option to try to kick a field goal because they, there is no chance that the kid that they have on the on the team could hit that field goal. They're constantly having to go to the end zone. So if you yeah. could find, and I imagine that as you trickle down lower in the college ranks, the, kitschy, the, the the kicking situation gets worse. But if you could find somebody, because I know that if you go through uh, state high school records, it's already in, in state high school records. There are female kickers that are in record books. Uh, I know in the state of Delaware, there's a female kicker that consistently hit from 40 plus. So it's not unheard of. Uh, and I, I'd like to believe – and see, the thing that I think is interesting is maybe I'm a, a different kind of person where the idea of something like that, that's exciting to me. Like that would be mm -hmm. an interesting thing for me to like as a thought experiment, uh, experiment, like what would happen if you had a female player? Like how huge would that be for the NFL in terms of getting uh, half of a gender who's probably – Maybe tertiary, you know, uh, and there are a lot of women's football fans. That, that's not what I mean. But think about all the of the of the people that are, are maybe just not that interested. Maybe their 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 dads were into it. Their their husbands, boyfriends, whatever. But all of a sudden, you find out, oh, there's going to be a female kicker. That's something to to really tune into. You could expand. It could be a really a big pull for the NFL to get. A, a huge influx of fans interested, not necessarily just in one one team, but like in the in the in the game as a whole. I, I think it would be an interesting thought experiment. I know you got a lot of logistics to work out, but I mean these are billion dollar stadiums. I'm sure they can find a place for her to have her uniform and uh, and get dressed. Um, yeah. So the, I, I feel that that argument is bunk. Um, yeah, and and you actually the argument you made about college kicking really brought me around to think about the feasibility of this when you know you first threw it out there as in your lifetime and i'm like yeah i agree with that i, I could see it happening in our lifetime now like you know there are women on the the u.s women's national team who are young who are right. like like college age i don't know who right. the, how old the youngest is but i mean they're early 20s if not late teens i probably just early 20s but um and you i i watch you know i watch boston college football and i've seen my share of bad kicking you know it makes the college game a little more fun when that point after you know actually means something that might be competitive as opposed to i can't believe he blew it right you know i i think you can that's an opening right there and that really could you get a successful kicker in college and you know someone takes a flyer on her in a later round of the draft and all of a sudden you have this great human interest story you know this segment of the fan base because there are a lot of you know women uh, football fans but somebody to go hey look we're doing it too and you know young girls they can look up to hockey players and soccer players and basketball players and 
the the U.S. women won a women's baseball tournament uh, today. Yeah. Um. So that that's to a lesser extent, though. I don't think that's as visible. But there's no. I mean, there was women's professional football, but it was never really a thing. You but know, would there, would there here be someone a, could look up to it. Would there be a bigger stage for a female athlete than to be in the NFL? No. No, well, I mean, in America, in America, no. Right. I mean, it would be the equivalent would be would be like if Man United brought on a a, a female midfielder or something. You know what I mean? Like the these this would be these are the sort of things that could be equivalent. I just feel like then you would suddenly really truly have some sort of a an an open door where really you could actually say to your daughters. Anything is possible. There's a there's a girl in the NFL, you know. Yeah, that that and that, and to me that's an exciting thing. I know that if we've ever had trolls for this show, I'm sure they are sharpening their troll pencils uh, on this <laughs> one. Um, but you know, so, like, is this a game of like D and D? It's, it's like, like uh, they sharpen their troll pencils, uh, bring out the twenty sided die. Oh, finally, Gene has revealed that he might be a feminist. Oh, so um, I. I, I you know, I, this is one of those things where I, I just I don't see myself like I, it's not something I would have any shame in defending the fact that I don't yeah. think that there's any reason why, uh, you know, you should if if I guarantee you if there were Bears fans that you told me that I have I have Carly Lloyd here and I guarantee you she can hit that 43 yarder on a consistent basis. I guarantee you all of those guys that line up at Soldier Field would take her in a heartbeat to beat the yeah. Eagles in the in the playoffs. And that's what's going to happen is you're you know and and just like anything else you're going to have ups and downs, but any athlete is going to have to deal with ups and downs no matter what your gender is. Uh, and you you know you tell me that if there's no pressure in the women's world cup and that that women athletes don't already feel uh, pressure in sporting events. I, I, that's BS. It's crap. They they do. Uh, you know, look at the the women's Olympic basketball team. I, we we know that they've felt incredible amounts of pressure. So, uh, you know, I just feel like that would be a, as an interesting thought experiment. It's not something that I'm seeing a lot of chatter about, um, but it's something. It's a conversation that I feel like I would like to continue, and I hope that someday in my lifetime, it's not even that out of a norm to on my fantasy football draft day be able to select carly lloyd to put her on my fantasy football team i'd be excited about that day and you'll take her with the first overall pick uh well that's dumb to take a kicker with the first <laughs> overall pick chuck that would be a rookie move for fantasy football yeah <laughs> but i would still take i would still i'd still draft her yeah and i mean so you, you touched on it there with you know talking about the pressure and you know, just how difficult it is to perform on the national stage, how difficult it is to perform at the international stage. And we saw a huge example of this with Andrew Luck retiring mid-game, was it? Like, the announcement certainly came out mid-game. Well, I, I mean, did the did Indianapolis have a, a preseason game yesterday? I honestly don't know. Um, they did. So they did. basically, it sounds like as soon as he walked off the field, he's like, yeah, I'm good. Um, so it was I was literally sitting at a fantasy football draft. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Luck had been selected. And oh, my God, the guy that had picked him had headed home. And 
uh, we were sitting around watching TV, uh, wrapping up the draft, and uh, a buddy of mine said, uh, hey, I think on the bottom line, I just saw that Andrew Luck retired. And we all were like, shut up. Like, <laughs> He's like, no, seriously, rewind it. And we're like, no, shut up. We're not going, like, we've got stuff to do. <laughs> He's like, okay, but I'm telling you, like, there's, so we rewound it and, and we're sitting there and it got to the NFL section and it wasn't the head story. And we're like, Andy, you're full of crap. Like, it's not a thing. He's like, no, I'm telling you, just wait 30 seconds. And basically 30 seconds on the dot, that big red breaking news thing went over and it was like andrew luck retires and we were all like the our jaws just hit the floor it was it was stunning it, it was a crazy day kind of if you if you know if you're into that sort of thing there was a major injury to a starting running back uh in a preseason game and then you have uh, a guy who was drafted as a top five fantasy quarterback uh, basically decide to call it quits after the second uh, third game of the preseason um and and Vegas today, I don't know if you saw this, Chuck, but basically they went from like twelve to one to win the Super Bowl uh, to like thirty five to one and dropping. It's yeah, it was. I've never seen anything with one single player uh, just um, kind of completely ob- obliterate a, a team's potential hope for a championship. Yeah, and I think I don't think he's played yet in the preseason. He had a some uh, like a calf injury calf. or something. It was like that... a, a mysterious calf ankle. He, yeah. he he said in the press conference, it's it's you know kind of a high ankle sprain sort of thing. But yeah. no, he hadn't played. There was no expectation that he was going to play in the next preseason game. There was actually kind of a uh, the the idea was that he may miss the first couple weeks of the season, um, and and you know that was still kind of worked into people's thought process about the prospect you know the idea of how indianapolis was going to fare this season but uh yeah i don't think anybody if you had uh luck retires before uh adam venetary and um tom brady uh then god bless you uh some other people in his draft class which i thought was interesting uh rg3 still in the league backup quarterback to uh lamar jackson in baltimore as well as ryan Tannehill, uh still in the league backup quarterback but but luck was luck was supposed to be the heir apparent to tom brady he was going to become the uh the face of quarterbacking uh in the next generation it was going to be you know when you when people would have those conversations if you could take one player from the nfl to start your franchise with who would it be luck was always in that conversation he was that kind of a talent and to see him kind of hang it up at 29 is very telling for the state of what the game of football is doing to its players. Yeah, and and my first thought when I saw it, um, well, it was to text the sports uh, chat we have going, um, and then after that, I I thought it was something awful. I assumed he had some sort of debilitating disease be it ALS, be it MS, be it, be it something that's going to say you have to stop playing football. Right. Or like some sort of a spinal injury or something. Yeah, exactly. And then to find out, no, it's not, but (laughs) I mean, how many people have, you know, killed themselves and potentially related to CTE and, 
just his mental fatigue. I see a lot of people throwing around mental illness, and I don't think he ever explicitly said that. I don't think he ever... I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I, I didn't he... hear him say the words mental illness. And yeah. I don't know if it's mental illness in the way that we would define a mental illness. But I think that there's certainly something to be said for somebody who is putting their their mental health first. Uh, mm. You know, I think that there's that's part of the the misconception in the conversation that people need to have is is you don't have to have a diagnosis of something that's in in the in the in a psychology textbook to need to seek to repair your your mental state um you know it doesn't have to be schizophrenia or something like that to to express the need to be like i need to get my mind right i need yeah. to 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 do something like that and i i did see somebody on twitter um zach Kaffer put up um and i have a, a couple of good friends who are former Baltimore fans who followed um, the Colts to Indianapolis, uh, which makes their fandom kind of odd. And it's an interesting kind of a, of a, of a thing about American sports is a lot of them are combination Indianapolis fans and then root for the Orioles and root for, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the Capitals uh, root for the Wizards, but they, they are not Ravens fans, even though that, you know, became the team that moved into Baltimore, but they they stuck with the Colts. But uh, anyway, um, that's a total aside. Uh, some of the physical injuries that Luck has endured through his six seasons. He's had torn cartilage in two ribs, a partially torn abdomen. This one is the one that was like, ugh. A lacerated Same. kidney that left Ooh. him peeing blood. Uh, at least one concussion. Uh, possibly two, a torn labrum in his throwing shoulder, which cost him most of a season, and a mysterious calf ankle issue that led, you know, that's what he's dealing with at the moment. Um, So a lot of that, you know, that over six years, that is a lot physically to deal with. That is a whole lot. Yeah, and it's not... I mean, what? I don't even know. the. I can't remember the guy's name. I don't feel like looking him up to say, oh, how millennial can you get, you know, not wanting to rehab to be a professional football player. And that's that's just a really crappy bullshit take. Right. You know, but God, imagine the mental toughness it would take to go. I have to do this again. I have to come back from this injury. I don't know what the next injury is going to be. Right. I know that there's going to be one. Right. You know, you know, he's 29. You know, a quarterback can play till 40. You know, yeah. may, maybe, you know, he plays only to 35. Well, he's not going to get through the next six years without another significant injury. Right. Without another concussion. And, you know, get, get out why the getting's good. I mean, if... If it is taking such a physical toll on your body, and even if it's just mental fatigue, even if you just can't keep, like, you know, you know, I didn't hear any talk of depression, uh, although some things kind of sound like depression, but I'm not a doctor, and you know, I didn't hear any talk of like anxiety or anything like that. But even if it's just mental fatigue, if it's just like, I can't do this today. But how you how know? how could you not think that there's some comparison? 
to uh, you know somebody that that goes through any sort of work where the the risk of physical injury would be applied whether it's somebody that works in a in a mine or somebody that deals with even something as simple as that you do uh, road work out on on the blue route and you've got yeah. cars whizzing by you at 60 miles an hour and you know you get hurt on the job in a situation like that don't you think that um you know even though you knew and expected the risks going into it that it's going to take a toll on your mental state that you know you've got to go back out on the highway and those cars are going to be whizzing by you again and could i get hurt again now i just read you a list of what andrew luck has been through in six years uh, you know you don't think that that plays into some factor is you know is this going to be the the hit that i'm not going to get back up from you know yeah. and i know every quarterback deals with that but you know those some people just look at the situation and be like you know what man like it's just it's not worth it. And, you know, maybe I would be singing a different tune if and it's not without the realm of reality to, to say that, you know, Carson Wentz couldn't have come into this summer and been like, look, man, I had a broken back and a re uh, reconstructed knee like I'm just not doing it. Um, you know, that's that's something that we as Philadelphia fans have had to, to kind of look at is, you know, is this quarter, you know, is our quarterback fragile? Is he, is he somebody who's, who's going to be able to play through pain? Uh, it's, it, you're not going to tell me that Carson Wentz doesn't have any pain now, you know? Yeah. So imagine if you're Andrew Luck, you're dealing with this pain every day, all day in and day out. And when I listened to what he was saying yesterday in his press conference, um, he, he said, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I don't enjoy my teammates, that I don't love this team. Um, and I believe that that to be true, like he does not strike me as somebody who had some sort of personal beef and just hated coming to work. I think that he really does love the game of football. I think he loves his teammates. I think he's a very genuine guy. I think he was looked at as a leader of the team. But I really do think that when when he took a, a stock of his whole situation, his physical state, his mental state, he said, you know what? You know, I got to live out my dream for six years. Uh, you know, I got to play in the playoffs. I got to, you know, live the life of an NFL quarterback. But I want to be able to live the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm already going to have some degree of chronic pain. Maybe this is the threshold I'm willing to go to. He said that after one of his injuries, he played a couple of weeks uh, through some of this in intense pain. And he promised himself at the end of that season, like, I, I will not do that again to myself, my family, or my teammates, because I wasn't giving them 100% of myself, and they deserve to have a, a teammate that's able to give them 100%. So, uh, you know, all of that being said, I can kind of see where he's coming from. It's it's shocking to us because I think culturally, culturally we all feel like if we had his talent, that we wouldn't want to squander it, that we would want to milk it for every last uh ounce that we could get out of it you know you look like at a guy like brett Favre, who literally could not would not hang it up until his body literally would not let him continue uh you look at a guy like tom brady well into his 40s and you know every year this time of year for like the last five years people say is this the year that tom hangs it up you know that's kind of the the mantra that we are preached to by the culture and to see a guy with all of the potential in the world that's being hailed as this the, the next big you know 
front runner for the the the, the face of the NFL. And he's saying, you know what? I I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna go and uh, I'm gonna live my life uh, as a civilian. Essentially, yeah. it's it's an interesting uh, dichotomy between what we kind of see the culture uh, valuing versus you know him being courageous and and valuing himself. And it reminded me so much of Barry Sanders when Barry Sanders walked away. Everyone's like, why? Now, looking at now, he walked away at 31. And he goes, so many running backs, their career gets to 30, drops off dramatically, and they're done by 34 tops. So the fact that Barry Sanders was still Barry Sanders at 31 was an achievement. And, you know, that's a long time ago now. It's, I mean, that 20 some years ago he do, do you have any memories of barry sanders the way you have memories now of the end of adrian peterson's career because i don't no 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 I, it was i only remember barry sanders being like at the peak of his powers being able to do the things that you know made your 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 jaw fall to the floor you know mm. with adrian peterson he's kind of become uh, not a, a punchline, but he is. But he's not. He is certainly not the dominant player that he was for six years in the NFL. No, Barry Sanders walked away at the top of the game. Something that you kind of say, like, "Oh, that's what you should do. Leave him wanting more. You know, you know, leave at the height and and not stick around past. You know, you know, not stick around until you're no longer welcomed." But I remember having conversations at a young age about Barry Sanders walking away and just going like, but he didn't, he didn't win it all. That was my thing. And then, you know, I had the feeling like, well, Detroit's going to be good one of these days. And now, you know, 20, 30 years later, however later, much later it is, they're still not. But, you know, thinking, wow, that's really uncommon. And it was uncommon because I don't think we've seen somebody else do it until like now. I mean, you know, before Barry Sanders, everyone was talking about Jim Brown, you know, before our time, you know, but he did it as well. And I wonder if it's going to be more common going forward in the future. You know, we uh, Gina had mentioned it earlier of like, uh, what's this say about the state of the NFL? I wonder if, you know, luck stepping down at 29, it might be some guys get the big payday. You know, take a few stabs at winning the Super Bowl and then go, I'm out. I got a life to live, you know, like so I I'm wondering, you know, where does this put the NFL going forward? Is this a sign of things to come? And, you know, where the hell's football going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? You know, well, the interesting thing is you have you have this kind of trend sort of from the the, the player's perspective. Um you know, I think that Andrew Luck might be the extreme example of the players kind of putting their mental health, their physical health, uh, you know, their their longevity ahead of, uh, you know, maybe glory. But, you know, we're still having these conversations in the offseason about shortening the preseason, adding two extra games, making the season longer, um, you know, and to a certain degree from the corporate NFL level – that seems counter to the idea of protecting the health of your players. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of stretching them out that way, I, you know, and, and think of the, 
the ramifications, the idea of having players only play 16 of an 18-game season, almost having, like, you know, you have to choose which players you want to rest on certain days. You know, just imagine the kind of conversations that coaches are going to have to say to their players, you know, or how the perception that's going to be to other fans. You know, every time that uh, a team comes into a, a stadium, all of the starting players, all the stars, you know, sit. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, you, this is this isn't the last game of the season before the playoffs. This is week three and they're benching everyone against your sad ass team. Well, and we but we we already see this sort of behavior in the last weeks of the of the regular season where you have games where and, and, and in, Indianapolis was famous for it. Where, you know, you could basically count on Peyton Manning not playing in week 15 and 16. You just knew that he wasn't wasn't going to play if, if when when the Colts were were really rolling back in the day. Um, you know, is, is this the kind of league that you, you, you want? Uh, I don't know what the solution is really, but it seems like it's just a lot of contradictions between what the NFL says they want in terms of player protection, how they've set the rules, how they've decided to protect quarterbacks and other players. Uh, but, uh, out of the other side of their mouth saying we should extend the, you know, talk about extending the league season and, you know, I don't know. It just seems like they they don't know what they actually want. Mm-hmm. And that um, that was going to be kind of my point. I'm like, I don't feel like they have a plan. And the plan is the NFL is by far the most popular sport in this country. And I think right now they're the most right popular now. right now. But yes. in 1950, it was different. In 1960, it was different. Oh yeah, and. I think it was back when I was still, you know, watching or listening to Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN radio. So that was a while ago now. But back when I was listening to that, I think Troy Aikman had made a comment of, you know, football's not going to be the number one sport forever. It's it's time is coming. And there was some, you know, like controversy of like, well, what's he talking about? And I think we're already seeing signs of football's hold over the public slipping you know and talk of of trying to make the in-game experience more like the home experience and the idea that it's not going to be this dominant sport forever and you know i think the nfl is trying to get why the getting's good how many days a week do we have football on you know, it was Monday Night Football was special because it was the only game that wasn't on Sunday. Now we got, what, Sunday day, Sunday evening, Monday, none on Tuesday or Wednesday, every Thursday, and then late in the season, Saturdays as well. And I you know, know, I know most that, days of the week. that these, these TV contracts are massive and that the NFL is one of the few things that you can count on for ratings, but... Um, you know, the part of that is going to fade if you continue to put out a garbage product on those off Sunday days. You know, um, if you keep putting on garbage games on Thursday nights, eventually that's going to wear on people and people aren't going to tune in anymore. Um, the, the the idea of what was Monday night when we were when we were growing up, it, it doesn't have the same cachet that it did. You know, when was the last time you you remember talking when you went in to, uh, to work the next day about what uh, anybody said on the broadcast on, on, on the Monday night game? 
you know, I, I feel like uh, it's unless been, it was an Eagles game. Yeah, or I feel like the last time I had that conversation about a non-Eagles game was like uh, about the personalities themselves was probably like when Dennis Miller was in there. Uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a Dennis Miller drop. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like to a certain degree, like that was uh, you know the same thing you would do uh, if, if you ever watch sitcoms where they where they start that stunt casting stuff where you know they bring in some big celebrity. To, to play Uncle Ned, you know, let's put in Dennis Miller so that he can uh, he can talk down to everybody that's watching football. Um, you know, and I actually think Dennis Miller is a very funny comedian. Uh, I prefer him to be doing that than calling football games. And I feel like America agreed with me. Oh, yeah. Well, he was awful at it, too. He was it. it he had this prepared shtick. It wasn't. You know, if you brought in somebody funny and had them actually be a knowledgeable football person and just sort of throw out little quips, I mean, that would have been awesome. But, yeah, I guess the writing was on the wall then, you know, going, hey, we need to do something to spice it up, get get some new eyes here. And, you know, then we're talking about also, all right, we got attrition from the top end. We're watering down the product, putting it out there every day of the week. You know, thing that makes football great is that it's scarce, that you only get it for this little amount of time. So we want to have more games, play it more nights of the week. And the talent influx is going to start drying up soon. Right. You know, we, we talked about it just, you know, more and more kids aren't playing football. You get the choice between soccer and football and baseball. You're just going to play soccer and baseball. So and the, and it's not like there's this world pool of talent like you have in soccer, basketball, hockey, um, baseball, baseball. There's a, football's played in America. Yeah, I think the Germans like it too. Well, that's they, it. They are trying to expand it globally. They play that game in in London every year. There's there's always talk of of uh, of putting um, putting a franchise uh, at Wembley. Um, you know. I, we tried the world leave of American football. It, it, I feel like it's just not, it's not going to take, you know, what grew the game of basketball globally was, was the 1996 dream team. You basically sent out a, 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 the greatest ambassadors for a game to go and kick all of the world teams asses. (laughs) You know, basically, they were the Avengers going out and and mopping the floor with all of the other. You know, and that was the 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 world kind of stood in awe. Was like this. This is is this possible that you can have human beings play a game this well? And it inspired uh, literally generations of of play of people all over the world globally to kind when, of be like when I, Jordan dunked on Sokovia Center. Yeah, like that that was heard all around the multiverse, man. I, and I think that. It just made it more interesting for places like Greece and Spain and China. They just wanted the game of basketball. They saw how it was played at a high level, and they just wanted the game of basketball. The football is not played in the Olympics. There is no way to kind of globally market a super team of football players to go out and and preach the gospel of of football, you know, sticking the Jacksonville Jaguars in 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 you know in London every year. There's no natural rivalry, you know. Why are why do people in London want to care about Jacksonville? They don't. Uh, so it, it, there's no natural fit, uh, you know. And I don't know that just sticking a bunch of Americans 
making them live in London half the year is going to even help the situation either. I think what would be interesting to people in London is if you had a team full of English people on mm. the English team for them to root for or an English star that they could root for. Um, you know, football is just a different game. Um, it's not a global game yet. And I don't know how you make it a global game. The NFL is sure as hell trying. They they try Mexico City. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to try Beijing at some point. But the thing is, they only want to take it so far because you don't want to screw up what time people watch it on television in the States. Because you want to piss off Eagles fans, put an Eagles game against uh, Washington or the Giants uh, on Beijing time. Then you'll have some angry Eagles fans. Oh, God. God, the tailgating would be insane, though. Like, bars would, o- <laughs> would open up at 1 in the afternoon and stay open till like, 1 in the morning, you know, uh, just for the pregame. Jesus. But, yeah, it's it's not a game that, that translates, you know. So it, it's only going to get so big before it starts getting smaller and, and other you know, other places have rugby like we forget yeah. that there is a in australia has australian rules football but rugby in europe is is a very popular sport and mm-hmm. you know what if i was a rugby fan and all of a sudden i see the nfl i'm gonna see like rugby players seem a hell of a lot tougher you know what i mean like rugby yeah. seems that if that's what is the attraction to me to the sport is the that that kind of gladiatorial bloodlust that that brutality rugby players don't wear any pads and 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 it's the collisions are uh, i don't know if you've ever watched a lot of rugby highlights but the collisions are just out of this world so you know it's hard to sell to you know to to european football you know to European fans, we've got this other game where they stop all the time, where we put mm. commercials on every three plays. Um, you know, don't you love watching advertisements? Um, <laughs> because guess what? In in England and, and, and in Ireland and in Europe, you know, in Italy, they don't watch commercials during sports because, uh, A, they put them on their shirts. Uh, uh, so I guess they're watching commercials all the time. But, uh, you know, they've got a running clock in soccer. You can't take a break and go away for four minutes um, while, you know, you'll miss the only goal of the game. So it's it's a whole different mindset that, that, that Americans have for watching sports. Baseball is built for commercials. Football yeah. is built for commercials. Boxing was built for commercials. In Europe, they don't want to watch commercials. Yeah, and you mentioned baseball. The thing it has going for it, you know, that football doesn't is because there's not. A, well, I guess there's cricket, but let's throw that out. But it's in most of the world, there's not a comparable sport. You know, American football, you compare it to soccer like, OK, it's it's not the same, but you're looking at the same shape field. The idea is to get it down and put it in the goal, put it in the end zone. You have rugby. You have these other things that. You know, rugby more mirrors soccer, that there's more popular sport there. And rugby's actually safer. You know, it's it's counterintuitive that these big pads that we put on everyone to make them safer actually makes them a more efficient, you know, projectile, more efficient weapon. Right. You're gonna see a lot of bloody noses in uh rugby, but you're not gonna see uh you know the the life threatening shit. But 
you know, so baseball is its own thing. It's like, here's, here's a game, learn about it. It's foreign to you, but this is the pace it's played at, you know, enjoy our commercials for Bud Light or whatever the case may be, you know, and but to a certain degree, like Europe has had a soccer culture for, you know, prior to uh, the world wars, you know, can you yeah. imagine we're talking about families that are generationally Chelsea fans or generationally Tottenham fans or generationally generationally um, uh, Villa fans or, or, you know, you, you can go through Juventus or Barcelona or, you know, these are also deep seated political rivalries that these countries have. Um, so you, you can't just march in as the NFL and be like, hey, we're going to replace your fandom for the thing that you have loved as a family for hundreds of years with this thing that we are trying to sell to you. Uh, and I don't know that the NFL is trying to replace the Premier League, but I think that they believe that they can be that type of global sport that the Premier League and some of these other big European leagues uh, in soccer are. And I just don't think that the NFL... Uh, it's just not going to be that marketable of a game. Everyone basically understands soccer without any, I mean, you understand round ball goes in net. You can't use your hands. Yeah. <laughs> like to fall, like I was being taught formations in football by my father uh, with, with, uh, with three inch Smurfs uh, when I was a child, you know, I had to know uh, what the, the, all the position on the offensive line by the time I was able to, to write my own name. But I don't know that uh, there's a kid in Spain that's being raised that same way. Um, you know, it's a lot more complicated. There's a lot more subtlety that you've got to kind of develop um, you know, and you see all these, why, why are we stopping for that penalty? What happened? Oh, well, somebody did something on the other side of the field that you couldn't see, uh, and that caused an infraction. Well, how would that be interesting to somebody who's a new fan? It, it, I don't think that it would be. I think that we have grown up genetically predisposed to love the sport. And unless the, the, the NFL gets its head out of its butt and, uh, continues to try to find a way to maintain the product that they, they have, uh, by protecting their players without uh, losing the uh, the things that we find attractive about the game. Um, and I'm not even talking about the violence, but there has to be a certain amount of balance within the game. Um, you can't have quarterbacks be so overpowered, um, you know, by, by protecting them so much that basically it, it takes the, the idea of competition out of the game. You're, you don't want to have, uh, you know, the scores run up to be like, 80 to, 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 to 95 because there's no such thing as defensive football anymore. Uh, there, there, there's going to be problems for the NFL, uh, and it's going to come to them sooner rather than later. And I think that they need to start to, to get, with, uh, get with the program. Uh, yeah, I'm with it, and there needs to be tackling. You, you, gotta, uh, you have to have tackling or it becomes a different sport. You know, maybe... Uh, I I think football's gonna go one of two ways, and I think the way it goes most likely is just becomes a little more of a niche sport. You know, the it's gonna be a choice of does the impact, does the violence stay, or do we change the game? And I think you know there'll be some sort of test run of a flag football league or something a a two hand touch with like computers and you shove them hard and you hope it's the same thing, but it won't be. 
and then just go, hey, boxing's still around. MMA is bigger than ever, you know, and just go, it's a violent sport. What are you going to do? Like, you know, maybe maybe you limit, you know, the careers somebody can have. Maybe you go, hey, you get a five-year NFL career. You're going to get paid royally and guarantee the money, and that's that. And, you know, go off to do something else. But I, it, it there's only so safe you can make the game and have it still be football. Right. No, you're right. So, <laughs> so moving on from one violent sport to another, um, one thing we've neglected here on this uh, Philadelphia sports podcast is we haven't really checked in on uh, on the hockey team. So, Chuck, is there anything to to talk about? I mean, we're we're getting into to kind of the the early fall. Uh, hockey preseason is what less than six weeks away, right? It's mid September. Oh yeah. Yep, mid uh, mid September. I want to say, um, I want to say training camp starts on the ninth of September, and then like everybody reports, I want to say on the eleventh around that time. Don't hold me to it. You you guys have things called the internet. Please look it up. Um, but it's coming and it's coming soon, and there's nothing new, but there's a lot more chatter. You know, there's a lot lot of talk of, you know, Kevin Hayes, you know, the talk of that contract and what it means for the Flyers and, you know, did they overpay and, you know, did Kevin Hayes really want to be here? And that's all nonsense. Real quick, I, I, I know I addressed it on Twitter, but that's nonsense to say that, oh, Kevin Hayes told a friend, Frank Saravelli said this on the Snow the Goalie podcast that, Kevin Hayes told a friend that he wasn't going to go Philly unless they overpaid him. Maybe he said, well, I want to test free agency unless they overpay me. That's a very different statement than I'm not going to Philly unless they overpay me. Why would he come here? Why would he not test the free agent market if he didn't want to be here? Why would he sign for seven years if he and Elaine Vigneault don't get along? But um, the he's been in town. He's been practicing um did a little interview with the flyers it's a fluff piece there wasn't anything terribly interesting about it he's hanging out a lot with ghost so keep an eye out for those guys um but uh joel faraby um took part in the sort of rookie showcase uh for the nhl so if you see him answering silly questions as part of a promotion i i think i talked about this exact thing with morgan frost last year it's all coming back to me now but he he took part in that, and that's good. That means somebody at the NHL thinks there's, hey, maybe a decent shot of seeing this guy make the Flyers. And I guess that's probably the biggest question of what's going to happen with our last open winger spot. And, you know, I think it's people attributing it to third line right wing, you know, saying the top line... Ooh, let's break down lines. It's been a while. All right, top line is going to be Couturier, center, Giroux, now that we have Hayes, full-time wing, and uh, TK, Travis Konechny, provided he signs a contract uh, on the top line. Line number two, JVR, Hayes, and Voracek. Line three, Lindblom, um, Patrick, question mark. Line four, Pitlick, horrible name. 
Um, uh, Pitlick, Raffle, and uh, Scott Lawton. I I I would I I'm happy with the way that those are kind of shaping up. Um, you know, those are the top two lines stack up kind of against anybody else you've you've got in the league. Yeah, and the second line's big. Yeah, like if that ends up being the second line, that is a that is a hefty second line. Um, and JVR is a scorer. Hayes tends to be more of a distributor. Um, Voracek is sneaky. He tends to be a distributor as well. But if that line clicks, that can be really tough. Patrick and uh, Lindblom have had a lot of chemistry even in their short time together here. So I'm looking forward to seeing them together. And it's a thing that drives me nuts. When you have 12 forwards, you're happy with 11 of them. And Flyers Twitter will tear themselves apart over the 12th. And it always comes down to me, if this 12th player is the reason you don't make the playoffs, then you weren't a playoff team. Right. You had a lot you more know, problems than that one guy. Yeah. And I, I think... You know, there was some talk of, you know, people were like, oh, if Pitlick moves up to the third line, you know, that just shows the Flyers are stuck in their old ways and nothing's going to change. And that's the most hyperbolic bullshit I've ever heard. A, I want to talk to these people like, give me your scouting report on Pitlick. You know, I know very little about him. I've done a little research since signing him. He does seem like a really good fourth liner to a acceptable third liner. And acceptable's fine, especially if you have, you know, people you have real high hopes in, in Lindblom and Patrick. And, you know, I, I think so many people are having the hopes of Farabee or Frost or Bust. And I wouldn't hold your breath for Farabee. Probably not for Frost either. I think they're going to want them to get, you know, some, some AHL reps. But, you know, early in the season or if one of them really impresses in camp that could happen well and in, in hockey uh, injuries happen you know yeah depth is an important part of being a championship team and and here's the, my, my real question going into this season because i think that a lot of the conversations we had certainly up through christmas was um you know what is the problem with why this team which had some expectations of becoming a playoff team was underachieving and uh we don't have the fall guys that we had last year to blame at this point we have a new gm we've got a new head coach um so what of of those moves do you think we're going to see any perceivable difference in the way the flyers uh come out of the gate with having uh Vino and and Chuck Fletcher and uh, you know with Chuck Fletcher you you kind of see the, the the type of player that he's interested in bringing into the team uh and once the season kind of gets rolling uh I think Hextall to a certain degree was the culture that he was uh kind of building that became kind of toxic for the team um if yeah. if, if 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 half of the stories I've heard are true then I, I think I'm I, fair in saying that that Hextall was kind of creating some some unwelcome negative uh, stuff in the locker room. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much can a coach with 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 a with a new outlook, how much can he can he instill uh, going forward? You know, with this team, we saw them make some runs in the second half of the season where they they you know, there were stretches where they played really well. 
Um, do you think that just the change in, in, in the man on the bench, is that going to be something that's going to have the Flyers come out and look a lot more competitive early in the season? Or, you know, is it just that they're, they're still rebuilding? I I don't think they're still rebuilding. If they're still rebuilding, it, it it's bad news. It is bad news if they're still rebuilding. I mean, the good news is we, we know who the goaltender is right out of the game. Yeah. Well, that's huge. And that was going to be the point I brought up. Of uh, We have a healthy Brian Elliott because he wasn't last season. He came back from surgery, got injured again. He was not healthy at all. Uh, healthy Brian Elliott and Carter Hart, you know, and even if Hart struggles, I feel more comfortable with him than, you know, a struggling Carter Hart than at least five of the eight goalies we had last season. And so that's a big difference. And I do think a coach can make a huge difference. Vino, you know, took over um, the Rangers and immediately got them to the Stanley Cup final. And they were competitive up until, you know, the team got too old and slow. And he played a different style with Vancouver than he did with New York. I think um, Mike Yo and Michelle Terrian um, are bringing a lot of experience to the positions they're in. They're the reason why they ended up becoming head coaches. So I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the coaching staff. There's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the team. Getting out to a quick start might be hard due to the schedule. We open up the season in Prague. We come back home for one game and then go out to the West Coast. God forbid we ever open up the season anywhere near Philadelphia. No, it's I I think I'm going to blame NBC. So I'm going to blame the Flyers, really, because Comcast owns both. But (laughs) I think they like knowing that they have a draw on the West Coast for those early season games when NBCSN, you know, does, all right, we're going to do our primetime game. And then, Hey, we'll give you one from California as well. The flyers are playing the Kings. So they know that they're going to get the flyers fan base here. Well, and maybe like some the, more casual the last ones. two years. It was, we would do that, uh, that Vegas, uh, LA San Jose or Anaheim kind of swing early in the season. Yeah, and I mean, I'm happy to get it out of the way. Yeah, but it's no fun. It's it's hard even to be. You know, we talk about a lot of Flyers fan apathy. Woohoo! Starting the season. All right, game one, you stay up until midnight or twelve thirty or whenever. Game two, man, that's hard. That's a yeah. real hard way to start the yeah. season. And now you're two weeks in. The team has a losing record, and now they're finally at a decent time to watch. Right. So. And, and that translates. I I hope for my enjoyment of the season, they go, come out to a quick start. I don't think it will affect them in the long run. I think if they come out to a slow start, I think they have enough pieces. I think they're good enough. They should be a playoff team. I'll, I'll wait till closer to make a prediction. I don't know if I'm going to be as optimistic as last season. I got burned hard. But is the but. East just got too much talent especially in the in their division for the flyers to to overcome it 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 just it feels like the east is very deep Uh, see the the thing about our division is i think it's very it's very comparable it's very um 
even they're they're evenly matched they're comparable talent parity that's the term i was looking for there you know there's a lot of parity in the metro the unfortunate thing is i think there might be four locks for playoff spots in the now atlantic um definitely tampa definitely the leafs probably definitely (laughs) the bruins i can't imagine them falling off and then the Panthers with the addition of Quenvel and Bobrovsky. Yeah, they got better that, real fast. And that's that's And that leaves probably... what? Columbus, the Flyers, the Devils, the Rangers all kind of battling uh, and the Islanders, the Islanders are not a, you know, a walk. Well, I think Columbus has lost enough assets that they'll they'll find their way to the bottom pretty quick. They lost Panarin, they lost Bob um Tortorella's shtick of just tearing into people only lasts so long so I think I'm comfortable placing CBJ right at the bottom of the division there are a lot of smart people who disagree with me but I I I'm not too worried about Columbus um I'm comfortable putting Washington at the top of the division I don't think they're leaps and bounds ahead of everybody but I just think they fall out of that there is they're better enough that they'll win enough games to be comfortably in first. Not a huge lead, but I mean they'll they'll be in first. I think Pittsburgh, their decline is going to continue. Um, I don't know about the Hurricanes because I really don't trust their goaltending. There's us who I'm optimistic about. There's the Rangers and the Devils who have gotten considerably better, but might not be good enough yet. Yeah, because they've got a lot of young. Uh, kind of a green talent or a lot of raw talent, I guess. Yeah, and I feel like they're like the Flyers and Hurricanes of seasons past. Everyone's like, oh, they have a lot of young talent. Is this the year they put it together? Yeah, I mean, but you've got you got kids that are 19, 20, 21. Oh, yeah. You know, and to a certain degree, especially with hockey, there is a, a big leap that comes with maturity. You know, I think that, uh, you know, you have your phenoms occasionally, but... Um, you know, teams really do need time, especially when you're you're stacked with 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 guys that are young like that to to kind of just learn the speed of the game. Yeah, there's a big difference to being able to play, you know, in the, the league and contribute versus being a game changer. Right. You know, and you know Jack Hughes and Capo Caco. Um, see, that's where we miss Dave. Right. Dave's enjoyment with that name. Um, they're going to come on to the teams. They'll be, you know, factors in, you know, in their team's play, but I don't think they're going to be dominant figures. If they are, we're in trouble. Right. But I, I feel comfortable that Pitt's going to fall back enough. Um, and only one of the New York teams is going to put it together. You know, the New York Metro area teams, I mean, right. to, to really, put it in but it's gonna be tough it's gonna be interesting and uh ivan Provorov, sign your damn contract and the flyers are gonna have to do well against the teams that are you know uh the lower end teams they're gonna have to you know they're gonna have to feast on bad teams and they're gonna have to you know hold their own against the good teams yeah and i mean it sounds like our phillies and they've had a lot of time and we've had a lot of time too so gene you know, it's time for Chuck's Bounty Box. Woohoo! 
Yeah, that that intro I don't have. That there again, we're missing Dave. Yeah, he's really got that timing down. He really does. He, you can tell he works on it. Uh, Gene, who is in your penalty box this evening? Well, and I feel like we put this in the penalty box last week, but um, you know, I would be remiss not to comment on uh, what has become the entire the, the complete fail that is the players weekend or fan appreciation weekend the the god awful major league baseball uniform choices that they made this week um for one thing, uh, black and white is boring. For another thing, uh, how do you not realize that you're going to have a, a players in all white with white caps pitching and that that's going to be a problem uh, for uh, batter's eye, apparently? Now I, now, I don't know exactly what the reasoning was, but I do know that you had mismatched hats on players. Uh, you had the white teams with one guy with a black hat, and you had the black team, uh, you know— there were so many little things they could have done to make these remotely interesting. You could have used accent colors. Um, you could have put piping around them and instead of just being, you know, all black or all white, you could have put that nice accent would be like the Phillies red or the Marlins orange. I'm not sure what their <laughs> accent color is. Um, but stuff like when the when the Major League Baseball said to the to the Reds that they were wearing white this week, uh, well, your 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 pitcher's going to have to wear a different color hat. He's going to have to wear a black hat. And they said, well, how about we wear a red hat? Oh uh, no, no, you can't you can't do that. Uh, the team's name is goddamn Reds. Um, why? If you're going to have them look ridiculous, they might as well wear their red hat. Like, I, like I just don't, I just don't get it. But maybe the thing that frustrated me the most, and I, I have not seen anybody, literally anybody, in the Twitterverse, the the the, the Reddit verse, the internet in general, television, that has been like, damn, these were sharp uniforms. Nobody likes them. Uh, you put all white uniforms with all white accents. I can't see their names or their goddamn numbers. And it's hard enough that you've got everybody called by some other ridiculous nickname uh, so I can kind of figure out who my own players are. Uh, but I have no shot at knowing who's playing, uh, who's the, 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 the bench uh, pinch hitter from the Marlins when they come up with uh, his name is like Elgonzo and I can't see his number. Um, like, so I, I have, it was impossible to follow the game of baseball. The reasons why players have names on the backs of their shirts and at least legible numbers is so that I know who the hell is at bat or, or who the hell is pitching. Like, that, it, it's, it was such a, fr it was frustrating to watch the baseball this weekend for a lot of reasons. And, and on top of it, to make it impossible to tell who the fuck was even playing. Uh, Major League Baseball, man, like you, you make it so difficult to love you sometimes. <laughs> oh man, ending with shame and Major League Baseball, you should feel shame. You're getting two minutes for the pain you caused my rods, two minutes for the pain you caused my cones. You were unwatchable this weekend. Literally, Major League Baseball, get it together. Okay, and in my penalty box this week, I'm putting in an artist. Now, we, we don't really talk too much about art on Potadelphia. Uh, we should probably do it more, but I'm putting in a street artist by the name of Jules Muck. And boy, did she muck up the streets of Indianapolis when she did a wall mural of Larry Bird. Now, that's a good idea. He's a popular guy, clean-cut looking guy. You know, his... From Indiana. Yeah, from Indiana, played at Indiana State, you know, covered in tattoos. What? Wait, what? 
Oh, no, you didn't know that uh, Larry Bird was covered in tattoos, including I... one of, you know, two rabbits humping, <laughs> um, a a spider web on his shoulder, a shamrock. Okay. Okay. Uh, a Indiana, um, a heart and muck rock, which is like the way she signs her work, something on his neck, a cardinal on his face. There is no and... way that uh, that Larry Bird would have got a neck tattoo. No. And and 76 for like the 76ers, I don't know. But <laughs> what? um um so um Larry Bird didn't like it cuz he's not a tattooed guy. <laughs> Go and figure. He... He was willing to make a compromise saying like, hey, you can leave the Indiana one on it, take all the rest off, and you can certainly sign it. No, there, but... there, there's literally rabbits humping on his forearm. Yes, that's What is apparently... that supposed to mean? Well, I think that was an homage to another mural that she did in Indianapolis of rabbits humping. Oh, I thought that, that was some since... sort of... I hope that wasn't like a comment on like his play or something. I... Well, no, because here's the thing. I was wondering... You know, is this trying to say, you know, Larry Bird was representative of his time like the players today that have tattoos, you know, it are representative. That it's, you know, I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be powerful? Like, you know, I'm thinking of AI, but there's tons of other guys. Uh, you know, Mike Scott, you know, have half and half of Larry Bird and half Mike Scott to show, hey, these are what players look like in their times, and they're both great players, yada, yada, yada. Some sort of social commentary about stigma, et cetera. Nope. She did it because she thought it would be fun. Oh. That was the pure artistic integrity that she did it because she thought it'd be fun, and that's what she's been doing lately. She also did Dolly Parton with, like, a face tattoo. Um, so now, I mean, I've heard rumors that Dolly Parton does have tattoos, but I, not I any imagine of them all of her makeup is tattooed on by this point. Yeah. Well, and she, I mean, I guess maybe she's got like some eyeliner tattooed, but she doesn't have like, I don't know, like a lasso or anything. Uh, or a, a nine to five sign, but Jules Muck for mucking up Larry Bird for disfiguring the local landscape in Indianapolis and having no artistic integrity. You're getting a 10 minute game misconduct. Get out of Indianapolis, go home, reevaluate your artistic choices. Oh, I have to do the whistle too. I was like, I was all ready for Dave to take it over. Um, there we go. There's my whistle. All right. And with that, we are wrapping up for this week. Uh, Gene, been fun doing the show, just you and I. Do you do you, do you know all of the uh, all the plugs we have to give? Um, if you're a fan of the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Um, those reviews really help us find new listeners. iTunes really puts them, uh, you know, prioritize them to help advertise the show. If you have extra time in your listening week. Check out our sister show, The Whip Around. I don't know what's coming up. I doubt Dave's going to be there because he's on vacation. And other than that, have a great day at work, everybody. Bye.